0: The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City, one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City.
1: We are delighted to have with us the Reverend Dr. Mitch Randall. One of the reasons we wanted to invite Mitch here today is because he has been a partner to Mayflower for a very long time. We have worked together on economic justice issues. Um, He led much of the way fighting against predatory lending. And then I of course consider him to be one of the leading the leading voices in fighting for public education Um, and he makes some very strong arguments about the role of churches in advocating for a public school system that provides a quality and free education to every single child here and it is a voice that I listen for very often I also, when my younger sister was looking for a church home, I gently shoved her in the direction (laughs) of North Haven, which is in Norman, and North Haven has been such a good partner to us and has made um, an important home for my sister and her family, and I don't really know what stronger endorsement um, or sign of respect that I can give to another pastor. Um, We are so grateful that you're here, and I invite you to again help me welcome the Reverend Dr. Mitch Randall. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, and 13 through 15. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the entire law. You who want to be justified by the law have cut yourselves off from Christ, and you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation.
2: Good morning. It is a delight to be with you on this beautiful Sunday morning and as laurie has already suggested for over a decade i had the privilege of serving as a senior pastor at north haven church in norman oklahoma and it was a joy to stand beside you in our fight for justice here in oklahoma for over a decade more recently i have taken on the position as the executive director of the baptist center for ethics and ethics daily Dot .com on behalf of our board of directors and our staff at Ethics Daily I bring greetings. It is good to be in Oklahoma because I've been on the road for quite some time. Two weeks ago, I was in Norfolk, Virginia uh, with a wonderful congregation out there. Last week, I was in Manhattan, uh, got an opportunity to preach at Metro Baptist Church on Pride Sunday. I really thank them for their boldness in diversity to bring in a heterosexual male to preach on Pride Sunday (laughs) in New York City. And now I'm with you today before I get on a plane in the morning to head off. And I know this is sounding very, very uh, strenuous on my part, but somebody has to do it. I head to Nassau, Bahamas tomorrow for a week-long meeting uh, and we will be worshiping on the beach uh, next Sunday. But it is a delight to be with you today. When Lori invited me to come and be a part of this wonderful series, this, my particular assignment happened to fall on the Sunday after Independence Day. And so I thought to myself, what is one of the things that a Baptist minister could bring to a UCC church here in Oklahoma City uh, that might you know, be germane during this week? And so I thought, let's talk about religious liberty because I mean, religious liberty is kind of a Baptist thing, but it's really all of our thing. Uh, when we began to think about it. And it's been in the news a lot lately. There's a lot of debate about what religious liberty is and what religious liberty is not. And there are individuals and movements within the country and within the world that are attempting to redefine religious liberty for the sake of discriminating in the public square. There is a lot of debate about this topic right now. On one side of the aisle, you have evangelical Christians arguing that their faith is somehow under attack from those attempting to reduce their influence in culture. And on the other side, which I am on, proponents of church-state separation contend that some Christians breach the wall of separation as they seek favored status in our culture. Now, more pointedly, an even greater conflict has emerged since the United States Supreme Court ruled in favor of a Colorado baker's right to turn away a gay couple when they requested a wedding cake, but we need to look at that ruling a little bit closer. In a 7-2 decision masterpiece, Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission, the court ruled that the commission had shown a hostility towards the baker's religion, violating the state's obligation of religions or religious neutrality. Where this becomes really confusing is that the court did not rule on the intersectionality between anti-discrimination laws and First Amendment Rights. In other words, their ruling was based upon the commission's hostility towards religion, not necessarily the baker's right of refusal. So the question still looms large on what precisely the court's ruling meant and what it means for a person. Does a person have a right to discriminate in the public sector based upon a closely held religious belief? Now, this is very troubling because it seems as though there is a segment of the populace these days who want to take us back to segregated restaurants. Because what they're saying is that basically a white supremacist barber could turn away an African American because the barber believes in a vile interpretation of the Bible. Or a doctor who uh, espoused uh, no sex before marriage could turn away a young, la- or a young mother who was with child because she had sinned in his eyes. Now, I understand these scenarios seem far-fetched, but we live in a far-fetched world these days, do we not? But the underlying principles at stake are substantial. How far can a person with a personal religious belief discriminate in our society? Now, I am the first to admit, I am no lawyer, so I'm not going to attempt to tackle this question legally. There are plenty of progressive, faith-based, religious liberty organizations out there doing a fabulous job addressing the legalities of the situation, two of which are the Baptist Joint Committee in Washington, D.C., and Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Wonderful organizations. You can look at them for your resources regarding the legalities of these cases. My objective this morning, though, will be to address this question from a biblical, historical, and cultural vantage point. You see, religious liberty was born from a deep desire to practice liberty of conscience. Beginning in the 14th and 15th centuries with John Wycliffe and Jan Hus, individual conscience was set against both ecclesiastical and civil laws. From Oxford Wycliffe believed the Bible should be returned to the body of Christ apart from strict clerical dominion and should be read in the common tongue, which, of course, was English. He also espoused his thoughts on divine authority over the English lords, who, as you can imagine, did not appreciate this kind of meddling. From Prague, Jan Hus held similar similar beliefs as Wycliffe when it came to communion, Huss passed out both the bread and the wine to his parishioners because, up to this point, the commoners only got the bread. The wine stayed for us clergy, Laurie. That's right. Not a bad thought, right? But he also held a strong belief that clergy, even the pope, should be held accountable. As you can imagine, these types of belief did not go well for those in power. Wycliffe died before he could go to trial, but he was convicted as a heretic after his death. And once he was convicted, his bones were dug up. They were burned and thrown into the River Swift. Huss was convicted of heresy during the Council of Constance and was burned at the stake on July the 6th. 1415. But it was out of those ashes of those pre-reformers that the freedom of conscience would rise during the 16th century reformation as a band of radical reformers emerged known as the Anabaptists. Even though the reformers, such as Martin Luther, Jorick Zwingli, and John Calvin, maintained their closely intertwined relationship with their civil governments, It was the Anabaptists who were the first to challenge the idea that faith could be manipulated and coerced by the government as a favored religion. Anabaptists argued for believers' baptism back then, which meant a person was baptized after they made a profession of faith, while the state church practiced infant baptism. Now, this seems pretty benign these days. Back then, it was serious business. Because this was contrary to the laws of the church and civil authorities, Anabaptists were prosecuted, arrested, and executed. In fact, last summer, I was outside of Zurich, Switzerland, in a cave where many of these Anabaptists fled Zurich under Zwingli's orders to arrest them and persecute them and execute them. It was in that cave where they met deep the foot to the Alps and worship God as their conscience dictated. Anabaptists were some of the first to say church and state should be separated. In one instance, Anabaptist Felix Mons was arrested in Zurich, convicted of heresy, which, because church and state were intertwined, was also tre- treason. And he a pole was placed in his shoulders, behind his back, pinning him, and he was pushed over a boat that had been rowed out into the Lamont River, going through Zurich, and today you can still see a monument to Felix Mann, where he was executed because of his faith. In England, two gentlemen by the name of John Smith and Thomas Helwes built upon the work of the Anabaptists, challenging the king of England and his church just belief in infant baptism. Like the Anabaptists, Smith and Helwes also believed in believers' baptism. In his wonderful and masterful work, A Short Declaration of the Mystery of Iniquity, Helwes called for complete freedom of conscience on matters of religion for all people. This is the 17th century. For all people, be they Christian, Jew, Turk, which he meant Muslim or any other. Baptist historian Walter Sheridan said that Helwes went further in saying that the Church of England was exercising a cruel spiritual bondage when they insisted they were the sole conscience of the people. Smith and Helwes stood up for the principles of freedom of conscience as well as an attempt to separate the church from the state. But it wasn't until the 17th century that religious leader would find one of its greatest advocates in an Englishman who rode the pond and landed in the Massachusetts Bay Colonies. His name was Roger Williams. Williams arrived in Massachusetts looking for a fresh start. But what he found at the shores of America was that those who fled persecution once once they gain power, could quickly turn to coercion and persecution themselves. Williams concluded, Enforced uniformity confounds civil and religious liberty and denies the principalities of Christianity and civility. No person shall be required to worship or maintain a worship against his or her will. He went even further in arguing that a hedge of protection should be placed around the garden of the church to protect it from the wilderness of the world. A century and revolutionary war later, the third president, and from what we discovered this week, probably the first lieutenant colonel of the American Revolutionary Air Force, (laughs) Thomas Jefferson. Seriously. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> Jefferson picked up on Williams' metaphor. With the establishment and free exercise clauses already enshrined in the First Amendment, the sitting president wrote to a group of Baptists from Danbury, Connecticut, assuring them that their religious liberty would be protected. Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between a man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions I contemplate with sovereign reverence that the act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of uh, religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state, Jefferson wrote. Adhering to this expression of the supreme will of the nation in behalf of the rights of conscience, I shall see with sincere satisfaction the progress of those sentiments which tend to restore to man all his natural rights. Convinced he has no natural right in opposition to his social duties. For religious liberty to thrive, Jefferson, Williams, Madison, all of these great thinkers understood that a wall of separation must be placed between the church and state. In fact, Jesus himself argued this principle when he was asked about taxation. He responded, as you'll recall in Matthew 22, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Jesus knew the only way the only way to keep the garden of God's kingdom free from the weeds would be to protect it with a barrier. Jesus' teaching, however, did not. Now hear me out. Jesus' teaching did not mean his disciples should isolate themselves from the world or discriminate against other people. In fact, on numerous occasions, Jesus challenged them to embrace the world, especially the poor, the stranger, the immigrant, the prisoner, the oppressed. Embrace them with divine love and eternal hope. The Apostle Paul argues this very point in Galatians 5 that was read a moment ago. We were set free by Christ, to live freely for Christ. And listen to that conclusion again. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only to not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in that single commandment, Paul says. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The redeeming act of Christ at Golgotha loosened the chains for Paul, no longer tying him to a rigid and restrictive faith. For Paul, he was free to be both loved by God and to love others as God loved them. Paul believed strongly in conscience but in a conscience that placed the ideals and acts of love far beyond all else. In other words, while our conscience should always guide us on matters of faith, we should do so with open arms to a world needing the love and affirmation of Jesus. Christians, or any person of faith for that matter, should never be asked to jeopardize their conscience, but they should also not be allowed to discriminate in the public square based upon their faith. All people of faith have the right to worship and practice their faith as their conscience dictates, even to the point of discriminating when it comes to the membership of their institution. However, and this is a pig, however, when people of faith are allowed to discriminate in the public square based upon someone's race, religion, or personhood, then we have walked a very hazardous road. During this week, that Americans gather to celebrate the freedoms of our citizenship, we people of faith should keep in mind the importance of religious liberty for all people. And remember that separating church and state helps protect religious liberty. So as we continue to worship, Let us be reminded that Jesus freed us from the bondage of restrictive religion and encouraged us to embrace the world with his unrestrained love. No one, whoever that person may be, should be discriminated against in the public square. As a person of faith, as a Christian in tradition, as a person who reads the scriptures and takes Jesus at his word, how dare I? How dare anyone think that the scriptures teach discrimination in the world? That is a vile interpretation and a misrepresentation misrepresentation of our Lord. So church, throw open your arms. Walk out these doors and the first person you see embrace with a holy kiss. For we are simply called to love. And the people said,
0: amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching from Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services every Sunday are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., with adult education classes at 10 a.m., and a full church school for all ages is available during the second service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd, a block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.